is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, August 5th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Taylor Schwenk and Bruce Baldwin are working from Connecticut. Sarah Abbott has a day off. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana, coming off a really fun Thursday, because on Thursday, we had all these starting pitchers make their initial start, inaugural start for their new teams, like Max Scherzer made his debut for the Texas Rangers, and he had a rough first inning. Left side, there's that base hit on two strikes for Gavin Sheets. One run is home, throw to the plate is late, it is 3-0 Sox. And so after that, you saw on social media, a lot of people were slam dunking on Max, and they were talking about, oh, it's an ugly first start. You know what? He would lock it down after that, allowing no runs in the last five innings he pitched, and the Rangers would come back. Simeon hits one high and deep to left. Benintendi watches it fly out of the yard. Marcus Simeon with a monstrous shot down the left field line for his 17th home run of the year to give the Rangers a 4-3 lead. And from 105.3, the fan, yeah, so it went from 3-0 White Sox in the top of the first to 4-3 after that Simeon home run. Here was Scherzer in the bottom of the sixth inning. 1-2, swing and a miss, cut her down and in. Gets the chase from Sheets. Scherzer struck out three straight going back to the fifth, and he's got nine strikeouts. Yeah, and the Rangers win this game 5-3. to three. That was the top of the sixth inning. He got that ninth strikeout. Here was Scherzer after the game. Life's easy when you can go seven, eight innings and they're hitting the balls at people and you're striking people out. You know, that's, you know, it's, I don't want to say easy, but, you know, that's when kind of life's easy as a pitcher when, when things break your way. Uh, but you find out about yourself when things don't break your way. Uh, when, you know, they get some, you know, bleeding hits. They get some, you know, you know for me, I got kind of singled to death there through the first two innings. I had 55 pitches through two. Um, you know, it's then what do you do then? Uh, that's when you find out who you are about a pitcher. And sometimes these are almost my favorite starts uh, is when you're getting uh, kind of beat around there in, in, in the early part of the game, but you settle in, you can't catch rhythm, and you're able to pitch uh, deep into a ball game. And so, uh, you, know, you know, that's what I'm most happy about. I finished strong. Yeah, Max sounded really happy in that clip right there. So the he wins his first start with the Texas Rangers. Jack Flaherty made his debut for the Baltimore Orioles across the border in Toronto. And the Orioles took an early lead. 1-2 pitch. Line drive, base hit into left field. One run in, around third. Hayes, here comes the throw to the plate, and he is out. Strong throw by Varsho in left field. He threw a bullet to the plate. Kirk put on the tag. But the base hit from Rutschman adds another run, and the Orioles lead it 2-0. That was Scott Garceau on WBAL. Taylor, I know he came into the booth the other day when we were taping that live podcast. I didn't see you say anything to him. It looked like you were starstruck. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I was starstruck by by everyone with the Orioles. I mean, like I said the other day, Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold, Melody Newman. I, when Ben McDonald came in and you started talking to him, my brain almost leaked out of my ears a little bit. It was tough. Yeah, I, I just realized that. You didn't come over and like, hey. Uh, I'm Taylor. Nice to meet you or anything like that. You know, I I just assumed you knew him. And then I realized, you know what? These are like heroes for Taylor. Oh, yeah. It was great meeting everyone. All right. Uh, A new hero in Baltimore is Jack Flaherty, who was throwing hard. His best velocity of the entire year. He was dominant. The Orioles beat the Blue Jays six to one. And here was Jack Flaherty after the game. New energy, new everything. 
um, and sometimes it can be a little bit tricky, but, you know, Adley was, was awesome back there. Coaching staff was great, getting me prepped for it. You know, I didn't really have a lot of time to get prepped for these guys. Normally it take, you know, like a handful of days to do it. You know, kind of just everything was kind of rushed together, but he did a really good job calling the game. They had a really good game plan. And, you know, then, the, you know, guys put together, you know, some runs there, got a lead, and then it was just putting together a couple shutdown innings. And then um, you get into that sixth, you know, make some okay pitches, give a couple of hits, and then you just got to make pitches with guys on. But all in all, it, everything has been unbelievable. For the Phillies, Michael Lorenzen made his first start. He was impressive, allowing two runs over eight innings. The Phillies win 4-2 to two with help from Brandon Marsh. Swung on, ground ball right side. It's through. A base hit into right field. Castellanos is home. Here comes Stott around to score. Down to third goes Romuto, and Brandon Marsh with a two-run single to right has given the Phillies a 4-1 to one lead. That was sound from Scott Fransky, 94 WIP. Uh, so really nice debuts for all three of the starting pitchers yesterday. The Astros and the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. The Yankees right now kind of playing for their playoff lives. And this is after they got word that Anthony Rizzo had to go on the injured list because of uh, symptoms related to that collision that he had with Fernando Tatis Jr. earlier this year. They're going to need help from somebody, and Giancarlo Stanton pitched in on Thursday. Here's the payoff. Swung on, hit in the air to deep left. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a Stantonian home run. Boy, Giancarlo put a charge into that. Giancarlo. Genosi <laughs> Postopalo. He hits a two-run home run. That was John Sterling on WFAN. It just occurred to me, Taylor, you know, the, the Yankees went in that game 30th out of 30 teams in runs scored since Aaron Judge's injury back on June 3rd. And, and uh, you know, part of the fallout of that is we haven't heard from John Sterling in so long. I know. It's sad. I'm glad to see him back in the rundown. That was that was a great call right there. All right. It was 3-all, bottom of the sixth inning, rookie Anthony Volpe at the plate. Swung on in line, there's a base hit. Right center field. Rounding third, Bader scores. Volpe comes through. It's a base hit. And an RBI for Anthony Volpe. And the Yankees take a 4-3 lead. That would be the final score. So the Yankees take the first game in a four-game series against the Astros, a big series. They're going to be facing Justin Verlander during the series. You're going to be hearing from Justin Verlander later in the podcast. Uh, earlier this week, the Yankees announced that Domingo Herman agreed to voluntarily submit to inpatient treatment for alcohol abuse. This was after an incident that happened in the Yankees clubhouse, according to the Wall Street Journal. According to the report, the pitcher was apparently intoxicated when he entered the clubhouse in preparation for the Yankees game Tuesday. The journal reported that Herman argued with teammates and manager Aaron Boone and flipped a couch amidst those confrontations. He eventually went into the stadium nap room while the rest of the team prepared for the game. Uh, and, of course, Brian Cashman, the Yankees general manager, has announced that he will not pitch again during the course of this season. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. The Giants and the Diamondbacks played on Thursday. There was one run in this game, and it came from Lamont Wade, Jr., the 2-2 pitch on the way to Wade. 
He swings it. It's a high drive right field. Going back on the ball. Carroll watching it. It is gone. Up onto the arcade. Lamont Wade Jr. His second home run of the series. The first hit of the day for the Giants, and it gives the Giants a 1-0 lead. That was Dave Fleming on KNBR. Man, in recent days, a ton of big injuries. The Rays placed all-star pitcher Shane McClanahan on the 15-day injury list with forearm tightness. This is a big concern. He's going to be examined after he returns to Florida. Uh, The ace of the, the Rays staff, a guy who led them to first place in the first half of the year, they're having all kinds of problems staying healthy with that pitching staff. Earlier this week, Liam Hendricks had Tommy John surgery. Brandon Woodruff uh, is expected to return from the injured list on Sunday for the Milwaukee Brewers. That's uh, that's big for them. The Twins called up 2015 Cy Award winner Dallas Keuchel, while at the same time placing Joe Ryan on the injured list with a left groin strain. The Chicago Cubs never lose. Cody Bellinger did it again in the bottom of the third inning on Thursday. Here's the pitch to Bellinger. Swinging a line drive, right field base hit. The Cubs are going to take the lead. Fraley gets it back in. Coming in to score, Nico Horner. Ian Happ goes to third. Run scoring single, Cody Bellinger. Cubs lead 2-1. to one. Yeah, Taylor, two weeks ago, it seemed like the Cubs were guaranteed sellers at the deadline with Cody Bellinger, with Marcus Stroman. Well, now they're in third place in the National League Central with a record of 56 and 53. They're over 500. Their run differential, by far the best in the division, at plus 79. What do you make of the Cubs? I mean, they just poured it on the Reds the last couple of days. They had two games where they scored more than 10 runs or something like that. And they got a they got a series against Atlanta this weekend. If I were a Cubs fan, I wouldn't take, you know, if things go sideways, I wouldn't take too much away from that because, uh, again, the Reds, I'm not a believer in them. The Brewers seem slightly more trustworthy, but that that division is is there for the taking, man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. That was Hall of Famer Pat Hughes, by the way, on that call on the Cubs radio network. Last night, the Angels and Mariners played. Shohei Otani was on the mound to start the game. Four scoreless innings before coming out with cramping in his hand. And after that, this is what he did at the plate. Here he swings at this one, drives the ball deep out there in the right field, and that one is out of here. Otani just did what everyone came out to the ballpark to see. It's a home run, number 40 of the season. Angels add on. It's 3-1, and it's showtime. Number 40 of the year for Shohei. That was big, and the Angels had a lead, but you know what? The Mariners would come back. And the 0-2 pitch swing and a high fly ball deep to right field. Renfro going back to the winning track, looking up, and Grandma get out the right bread and mustard. It is grand salami time. Cade Marlowe with his first career grand slam straightaway right field into the big bleachers. His second big league home run. Holy smokes, what a shot by Cade Marlowe. And it's now the Mariners 5 and the Angels 3. And the Mariners would win the game 5-3. to three. Pop quiz for you, Taylor. How far out of the wild card are the Mariners? Mm, I'm going to say four games. How about two and a half? Ooh. How about, yeah. How about they're a lot better than what people realize at the moment. They're gathering momentum. We saw how well they finished last season. So, 
sneaky good. The Mariners and the Angels, if you're in a position that, uh, you know, the Angels are in the wild card race, you can't afford uh, a game like that. You can't afford no to lose any series down the stretch. So a lot of fun to, uh, to watch. We'll be talking today with Xavier Scruggs. We got Sarah Langs coming up. We got Carl Ravitch coming up. What else you got, Taylor? Buster, the College Game Day podcast is out now. We did our Big Ten preview yesterday. You can listen to that where you're listening to this podcast and watch it on YouTube. All 14 teams. It is a long podcast. And Pete Thamel, he uh, he also provides an update on the sinking ship that is the Pac-12 and uh, where that stood as of yesterday, although that's an evolving situation. So that's tucked at the end of the podcast. So check it out, the College Game Day podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Xavier Struggs is an analyst for ESPN and for MLB Network. How did you pull that off, X? Like, I, I, mean, I don't know. Multimedia <laughs> world, you, you, you're working for both. That. That's pretty impressive right there. No, it's been fun. You know how it goes covering baseball. Whatever you can kind of put your hands on and, and be a part of is, it just makes it all better. So I enjoy, I enjoy it. Well, I appreciate you joining me on a Friday morning. And you, uh, we get to talk the day after this, uh, this group of pitchers made their uh, debuts for the respective new teams that they have. So yeah. I want to, you know, we, we had a Bleacher tweet about this from P.K. Steinberg. He asked, which pitcher was more impressive in his debut with his new team, Flaherty or Lorenzen? And I'll throw Max Scherzer into that mix as well. What? Uh, tell me which of that group did you, did you walk away going, wow. 
Hey, honestly, it was Jack Flaherty for me. Um, I looked at, you know, Scherzer, uh, Lorenzen both did an amazing job as well. I like how Scherzer bounced back after that first inning. But for me, Jack Flaherty is going to be a huge, have a huge impact on this Orioles team. I, I look at this was a rotation that needed some frontline starter help, and they didn't necessarily get it in Jack Flaherty. But you're hoping that he elevates his game to another level. And yesterday I saw that and I saw uh, him prioritizing using his curveball, which has been his best whiff pitch all season, but he's so comfortable with the slider. And I thought, okay, if he's able to get some weak contact from this Blue Jays team, get some swing and miss, which he's got eight strikeouts yesterday, that he was going to have a good day. And I see him making the adjustment over the month of July specifically and going into August. Um, this is an Orioles team with, with World Series aspirations. So he has to have the same impact a guy like Max Scherzer has to have for the Rangers, and the same thing for Verlander and the Houston Astros and, and Lorenzen. It, um, it's going to be just as important. And I thought Flaherty showed me a lot yesterday, especially in the sixth inning when he was able to, to get out of traffic there with bases loaded. So I agree with you. I thought Flaherty was the most important at the group, and I'm going to give Taylor his chance in a moment to uh, to chime in here as an Orioles fan. But before that, <laughs> look, the highest level I ever played at played in baseball was junior varsity, okay? So I don't know what it means to switch teams in the middle of the season. I've talked to a lot of players who've gone through that, and that can go either way. Uh, I thought uh, – you know, that last year, Juan Soto, when he joined the Padres, put a ton of pressure on himself to the point that it ate him up. And on the other yeah. hand, I thought Jack Flaherty yesterday, man, he channeled that into his velocity, which was easily the best of his career. You know, we've seen starts this year. He had that, uh, you know, that back and forth with Derek Gould, the terrific beat writer from this uh, yeah. dispatch earlier this year where he was being asked about his velocity and he was kind of dismissing it. He was defensive about it. It felt like that he channeled all the adrenaline of joining a new team, the excitement of a new situation, joining a first place team into that fastball, into his stuff. How difficult yeah, well, is that to pull off? I mean, that's got to be tough. But at the same time, you look at he's a professional. He's somebody that's pitched in the postseason before. He's got that experience. Yeah. Um, this was a Cardinal team that really struggled over the over most of the year so far. Um, and you think about getting into some new threads, getting into a new uniform, and now possibly fighting for an opportunity to go to the postseason, go deep into the postseason that gives you a different perspective. That gives you a different mentality. And I think that's the one thing Jack Flaherty was looking forward to this year, especially in a free agent year. Okay, what can I do to kind of change some things up, whether it be my routine, whether it be my mental, how can I get back to doing the things I was doing in 2018 and 2019? And yesterday, we honestly saw a glimpse of that. So like you said, like you mentioned, it's not the same for everybody. Every single player is different. Um, but at the same point, if you can get a breath of fresh air and, and find yourself fighting for something spe special throughout the rest of the season, that's what Jack Flaherty will be doing. And I kind of wonder if this, and there's no way to know this for sure, but if part of the, his comfort level in that first start with the Orioles was the team that he's walking to. I'm thinking of Juan Soto going to the Padres, and this isn't all men is criticism of the players on the Padres, but it's a lot of older guys last year. Manny Machado, who's been around, he's a future Hall of Famer, uh, you know, uh, uh, other veterans on that team, Musgrove, Darvish, et cetera, yeah. guys who've been in the big leagues a long time. They played in the postseason. He goes to the Orioles, and we were just around that team for Sunday Night Baseball last weekend. Like, you got all these young guys. 
Here comes Jack Flaherty. He's like a big brother being added to this team. You know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely. I think Where that's a great He doesn't point. feel like he's going to feel as judged as he would a younger player going to an older team. Yeah, I think you kind of get almost a sense of him being a veteran presence there. And I think that's maybe that's a new role for him that he can embrace and really take head on, right? And I think that... Flaherty at the same time looking for a change in his own in his own attack, his own approach at, at the field or on the mounds. So I, I think that's a great point to mention. All right. What about uh, oh, well, first? I got to give Taylor his shot. Yeah, what did you see in Jack Flaherty yesterday, Taylor? Buster, I love just about everything. He got off to a kind of a tough start. I think he had a, you know, a man on first and third with with one out and he got out of that no problem and then toward the end of the game very unbranded Heidi into uh to leave him in to work through the the 7th mm. inning and he had bases loaded, got out of that. I think he hit 96 on his fastball, which was the the highest he's hit all year. So, uh, I loved him, man. Very excited for Jack Flaherty. Well, part of the reason why I think Brandon Hyde uh, did that was not only because he wants to show Jack Flaherty that, hey, I trust you, you know, the, his new manager, but also from a practical standpoint, that bullpen is on fumes. That pitching yeah. staff is on fumes. And you could feel that last weekend, uh, you know, Tyler Wells and Kramer and, and how they were throwing. So uh, what a great debut for Jack Flaherty. Tell me about Michael Lorenzen, what you saw for him with the Phillies, which I think because we talked so much about Verlander and Scherzer was an under the radar move by the Phillies to potentially propel them to, you know into a team that's going to challenge the Braves uh, for National League supremacy in the postseason. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I look at you now looking at maybe one of the top three rotations in all of the National League by adding a Michael Lorenzen to an Aaron Nola and a Wheeler and what Taiwan Walker has been doing. Um, this is a special rotation. And and I look at Lorenzen specifically yesterday, given this team length, like anytime you get a starter that can go out there and be efficient with his pitch count, attack hitters, um, use all of his pitches efficiently, like that to me is almost a, a bigger, a bigger deal than going out there and racking up a bunch of strikeouts, right? Because you're saving the bullpen. We just talked about the Orioles bullpen. You think about guy giving you length the way Lorenzen did that helps guys take, be able to get a rest. It helps you to be able to shorten the game and get, get to your closer quicker or your setup man quicker. And then it gives your guys a blow for the next couple of days. So I think his ad his this added piece to this rotation could be one of the biggest impacts in all of the trade deadline and all of baseball moving forward because this is a Phillies team that was in the World Series last year. And now you're just looking for that one extra piece to help you get over the hump. Michael Lorenzen might be that piece, especially the way he's been pitching over the past month and a half. He's continuing to get better, even though he's surprising himself with what he's doing. He, he mentioned, man, I didn't realize I was start uh, like I was uh, uh, going to be an all-star. It's a surprise to me, but that's a testament to the work that he's put in. He's done a nice job. Yeah, he and Flaherty uh, are so similar to me, just these two incredible athletes uh, you know, to, who, uh, and you could see it, uh, play out yesterday in their first days with their respective teams. I, I you know, Max Scherzer wasn't as dominant as Flaherty for sure, but in some ways it was almost like a perfect first outing for Max ugly first inning. You're wondering how he's going to handle that. And like, a, you know, the, the, uh, smart veteran, he digs his way out, winds up giving him six innings. What'd you think? Yeah. I, I thought, I thought, I think this is where he adds a lot of value is being a guy that's experienced, right? He's been through it all. He's not going to crumble under pressure 
Um, yesterday, I thought he got stronger throughout the course of that outing, uh, which is going to be important. And we haven't really seen him be himself at all this year. I thought yesterday was probably the first example of him having sharpness on his stuff. Like the fastball looked like it had some extra giddy up. That slider was working, had late life to it as well. Um, and you think about him being paired with this Texas offense, like he's going to have an opportunity even in the middle of these games to stay in a game, even if he gets down early like he did yesterday, which gives a, a pitcher a lot more energy. Hey, I can I know my team is going to score at some point. Let me just kind of figure out what I need to do to continue to give length and to continue to go deep in these games, and we'll have a chance to win. I thought he did a nice job bouncing back. Coming through the trade deadline, tell me the team that you felt like uh, set themselves up to be the team to beat. Yeah, I, I think it has to be Houston. Um, you know, it has to be when you have. Has a, to be. Yeah, when you when you go and get the Cy Young winner from last year, um, I think that's got to be the biggest the biggest thing. I mean, that you just think about. You don't have that type of opportunity every year to go get somebody of that caliber. And the way he, they were able to do that, they were the way they were able to not have to pay the type of money that you would normally pay somebody like that, um, I thought that was a huge win. And then you look at this rotation and bullpen, it's already been really good. T- teams don't get that much better overnight, and they just did that, and I thought that was huge. So when I was around the Astros a couple of weeks ago, what really jumped out to me was – this group has this unbelievably great competitive arrogance. And it reminded me of those Yankee teams that I covered in the you know, late 90s, 2000, 2001, where they had had so much success that there was a feeling among the players, like, yeah, we got this. We'll figure this out. We're not playing that well now, but you know what? You put us in the postseason, uh, we're going to figure it out, which I felt like was a huge weapon for that team because there were a couple right. years where they kind of limped into the playoffs and they got to that. And they thought they were going to figure it out. Now you throw Verlander on top of the team that I saw a couple weeks ago. Alvarez back, Altuve back. It feels like they're gathering momentum. There's a different confidence. And I think it also stems from guys now that, you know, hadn't necessarily performed to a high level in the past. I look at Chaz McCormick. Now you're getting like all-star type numbers out of a Chaz McCormick center fielder. He doesn't feel the pressure of trying to prove himself every day. He's almost become a star this year. Um, and then I look at guys like Altuve and Jordan Alvarez who've come back now. That just helps this this uh, lengthening out this lineup again. Kyle Tucker has been quietly one of the most consistent players we have in all of baseball with his five tools. Um, and then you get guys still learning on the fly in, a, in a, a Jeremy Pena. I like what Dubon has done early on in the season. Uh, Martin Maldonado still doing what he does behind the plate. It's, there's just a sense of urgency and, like you mentioned, confidence with this team that's unwavering. And you need that to be not only a postseason team but a World Series winning team. We see it with them night in and night out. And you got to think, you know, a lot of it's got to be because of Dusty Baker and the emotions that he brings and the calmness that he brings to this team. The Braves, I think we would agree, are the best regular season team. That lineup one through nine, no one comes close. I think, uh, you know, Ronald Cooney Jr. is going to win the MVP in the leadoff spot. Matt Olson, Riley, Michael Harris down at the bottom has gotten hot lately. Uh, Max Fried comes back off the injured list today. Uh, and, you know, they obviously he's going to be an important guy as we head to the postseason. It does feel like the Braves left themselves really a very thin margin for error when it comes to this rotation going into the postseason. They're counting on Kyle Wright coming back 
from a shoulder issue. Tell me uh, what you see in the Braves vis-a-vis the, the postseason and, and yeah, how I, dangerous this team is. Or is it the juggernaut that it looks like? I think it is, Buster. And, and the real reason why is because of this offense and what you mentioned you know, yes, Max Free is going to be back. You mentioned Kyle or Kyle Wright uh, coming back soon too. I look at what young Bryce Elder has done, experiencing a Charlie Morton who still throws good velocity with that Strider. nasty curveball. Strider is you know going to be a Cy Young candidate. You know, the rotation is still deep. Maybe it's not as deep as you would like for some teams, but at the same time. I look at what this offense has done. It almost gives you a little bit of room to breathe for that starting rotation. And it allows you the opportunity to say, okay, we don't need to get somebody at the deadline. We're okay bringing our guys back and getting them back healthy. As long as those guys stay healthy, I'm looking at, you know, it's going to be tough to beat this team in the postseason and even in the World Series because of what you mentioned, one through nine. Every single one of those guys in the lineup can take you deep. And I'm talking not just wall scrapers. These dudes are hitting bombs left and right. I, you mentioned Ronald Cunha Jr. being MVP. I look at the, the main one that may be kind of vying for that is on his own team. And that's Matt Olson too. So when you have two MVP candidates right there in the middle of your order, it just becomes so tough to pitch to those guys. And even your backup catcher and a Travis Darno who doesn't get the playing <laughs> time he may want to, Still gets in and hits bombs as well. They just extended him. I'm, it's so deep, Buster. It, it's really tough to pitch to these guys. They're suffocating as an offense. Yeah. A, 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 a Braves-Astros World Series would be fun. You talk about a show that, that competitive arrogance on the side of the Astros coming off the World Series, the drive for legacy with the chance to go back-to-back versus the Braves team that won two years ago with that lineup. Went to that. that would be a fun World Series. All right, X, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you, Buster. Thanks for having me. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. The Numbers Game, Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? Yeah, there's no doubt among all the people who uh, are affected by this uh, time issue that Taylor and I had, (laughs) Uh, I think you probably are the unhappiest uh, or the most affected by it because you have have told us you are a night owl. (laughs) I am. I'm not going to say unhappiest. Of course, I'm always glad as I tell you this is the only thing other than maybe a flight to go cover a baseball game that I will ever wake up early for. I will always wake up early for the podcast. So glad to do it. But of (laughs) course, I get the text. I see 745. I go immediately to look at, okay, final game in the night is a 10-10 Dodger game. We have Otani on the mound at 940. I'm thinking, all right, this will be a fun one. <laughs> All right. So I told you I've got two questions for you. One, I was going to put the more difficult one first, but I'm going to let you ease into this. I'm going to get the easier one first. Here's a question. If Otani didn't play another game this season, would he be the American League MVP, do you believe, at the end of the year? Absolutely. I mean, I thought this was the case as of a couple of weeks ago. You know, Mandy Mel and I talked about this on um, our podcast about the idea if he were to be traded to the National League, 
I thought he was still the American League MVP, even if he ended up on the NL team by uh, August 1st. Now, obviously, I didn't think people would necessarily vote that way, but I did think statistically he was. And you'll remember this. This entire conversation reminds me of the conversation surrounding uh, Clayton Kershaw in my first year on baseball at ESPN, which was we'd be sitting around watching games, getting ready for baseball night in 2016, and someone would say, Clayton Kershaw never plays another game. Is he a Hall of Famer? And obviously he hadn't pitched 10 seasons yet, so the idea was more rhetorical. But the answer to that, by the way, at that point was also yes. So yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, and I completely, I think it's, I think it's a slam dunk, especially since unlike the National League, which we're going to get into later, Sarah, unlike the National League, it doesn't feel like that there's a big field of potential candidates, you know, two, three, four, five, uh, as there is in the National League. Uh, so, all right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is three. So speaking of Shohei Otani, of course, he had a night last night, you know, comes out, he's pitching okay. We see that he, I mean, he doesn't a lot run, but after four innings, it was a very fascinating moment where he's at the plate, and Wayne Randazzo points out, he's at the plate, he's clearly fine overall, but we see Jose Soriano warming up in the bullpen. So you know Ojani is about to stop pitching. And he was okay as a batter. He had that hand cramping. That's why he left as a pitcher. He ends up with a homer, a stolen base, and four scoreless innings. And I got to update my all-time favorite stat. Whenever anyone asks me what my favorite thing I found in this job anything like that. And I always say this no. what it is that now there are three. Previously there were two players since nineteen hundred to have a home run, stone base, and a scoreless pitching outing in the same game. So Shohei Otani is one last night. <laughs> the other two are Chrissy Matthewson in nineteen oh five. He threw a shutout. He deserves the most credit. And Pablo Sandoval, in May 2019, he had a scoreless inning. The Giants were losing big game against the Reds. He had a home run and a stolen base in that game. And so before Ojani, this was two Giants who both did this in games against the Reds. Now we have Ojani against the Mariners as well. Number two. Number two is 8.46. As I saw the uh, Orioles game playing out yesterday, I was very excited because I knew I got to bring an Orioles stat for Taylor. And, you know, the Orioles are really good. So this isn't the novelty that it was the last few years. But still very exciting to have a Ryan Mountcastle stat for you. So he hit 846 in their series against Toronto this week. Four-game series, he went 11 for 13, three walks, two sack flies, did not strike out. That is the second-highest batting average by any player in a four-game series since 1900. 
behind only Adalberto Mondesi against the Tigers in 2020 in 8.57 batting average. Before these two, the record had stood since 1961. It was Norm Cash against the Red Sox at 8.18. Number one. Number one is one. We're going to go one for first base. So this was just the most ridiculous baseball thing that I love that happened Tuesday and Wednesday. So on Tuesday, Giants won on a game-ending pickoff at first base. Patrick Bailey with a great throw, which I'll tell you about in a second, down to first Giants win. Then on, t- on Wednesday, the Blue Jays won <laughs> on a pickoff at first base. This one, not by the catcher, is by the pitcher, Eric Swanson. But this was the first time in at least the expansion era, uh, which goes back to 61, that games had ended on successful pickoff attempts on consecutive days. It's just wow. not something you see every day. And then you did, you saw it two days in a row. But Patrick Bailey's was really impressive. In a 1.39 second pop time to first base, which was the fastest pop time tracked by Sackass on a successful pickoff to, to uh, first base. That goes back to 2015. He has been so good behind the plate for the nine. Yeah, you could uh, have a conversation about whether or not if the season ended today, whether or not Corbin Carroll would win the National League Rookie of the Year. Uh, that's, that's how good he's been. But Patrick Bailey has made a huge difference for the Giants uh, since he was promoted. All right, you ready for the uh, the tougher question I got for you? I am. Off the top of your head, give me Sarah Langs. If you were turning an MVP ballot in the National League, who would be your one through four? Oh, my. All right. Um, obviously, it's Ron Acuna Jr. I think Freddie Freeman is probably number two right now. Um, you know, he had another multi-hit game last night. He is just doing what we have seen him do so consistently for so long at this point. And then after that, I mean, you know, we talked about last year. I remember I looked up that stat for you about um teammates to finish one, two, and war in their league, right? And as of at least yesterday, which was the last time I looked at it, and I could pull it up here, but I think after Acuna, it was Freddie and then Mookie Betts. So I'm going to guess that uh, I would put Mookie second based on that. And then, I mean. Oh, third, uh, you mean? Because you've got Acuna. Third, third, sorry. Yeah, I third, okay. Second after, uh, after Acuna, because to me, this is the who are we picking who isn't Ron Acuna Jr. Because to be clear, he is far and away the number one, uh, even so right now. But I agree there are more candidates, as you said earlier, compared to the AL. So we Acuna, got a uh, So before Shoyatani did everything he did last night, I was going to bring you one soda set. And we have Juan Soto on Sunday Baseball this weekend. He is having an incredible season yet again. I know the team has not been, you know, 
uh, on all cylinders the way we all expected for the year. But if you look at what he has done, I would absolutely be giving him a top five MVP vote. It's the season ended today, so I'm going to go with him. All right. I'm just going to tell you, my son Jake is not going to be happy because before the season started, uh, we made a bet. I said Acuna Jr. was going to win the MVP. He said Matt Olson was going to. And he keeps on making a case, uh, Sarah, to me every day like, yeah, I get it. Acuna is the MVP, but Olsen might finish second. I'm like, and now he's not going to finish second, I don't think. I said, but he's going to be, I think he's got a chance to finish fourth on the ballot. 37 homers, 91 RBI, and we got two months to go, Sarah. He has an adjusted OPS plus of 151. Uh, but to your point, and by the way, I think Corbin Carroll would be in this discussion about who would be fourth yes. as well as Juan Soto. I, I think that Matt Olson's going to lose some, uh, he's going to be further down the ballot than he may have otherwise because the Braves are so dominant. They are, and I also think, I mean, fair or not, in this day and age, uh, I think a lot of voters will discount the number of times he strikes out. You know, hold that against him a bit. We talked about when we've had the Braves on Sunday baseball handful of weeks now, that he is at a point where it doesn't matter if he strikes out in a way like he is playing so well that it's okay if those are his out. But I know a lot of people kind of look at that brain and say, okay, I don't know about that. But again, I mean, and to your point, it's almost like they're too good. People look at Acuna and then they kind of clap their hands together like, all right, now who else? Uh, but, you know, in another year, uh, in a different world, he is the MVP this season. So I will say that too, Jake. I mean, without Acuna, without the Dodgers being who they are, I know those are some big ifs, but even still, that is an MVP caliber season is my point. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, because you'll have people who don't like uh, war at all. As a statistics, according to F War, Matt Olson ranks 19th in the major leagues in that st- is 19th in the major leagues in that statistic, which is remarkable. And I'm going to say that to Jake later, and he may he may just hang up on me, Sarah, because like <laughs> he is so passionate about this discussion. All right, thanks for doing this, and uh, thanks for putting up with my silliness this week. And I will talk to you Monday. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. The NFL schedule drops this week. And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. That's vividseats.com. Dot com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. 
That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Justin Verlander is set to pitch his first game for the Astros since being traded to Houston at the deadline. He spoke with reporters for the first time on Thursday. Of course, a lot of the questions were actually about his former team, the Mets. First off, here was Verlander talking about going back to Houston. After I had some conversations with Billy and Steve um, about next season uh, and their plans, I think, uh, you know, entertaining the idea of a trade and, and, and waiving my no trade clause, I think Houston was, um, you know, the number one choice for me, the you know, just knowing these guys so well and, um, you know, having a chance to win, um, you know, the familiarity and, um, you know, had such a great time here. So, yeah, um, you know, that was, uh, yeah, number one choice. Here's Verlander talking about the question of whether or not the Mets have the pieces to be, still be competitive next season. I don't know exactly what their plan is, right? Clearly, their plan in the short term was to bolster their minor league organization with prospects. Um, the direction I was told for next year was it wasn't going to be the exact same um, MO as this season, which is which is fill every gap that you need with a free agent. Um, that didn't quite work out. So why double down on that strategy? Um, but I think if I was looking at it through their lens, you look at the, the players that they have earmarked for next season, um, Edwin Diaz coming back, um, and, and, and the same core that you had going into this year, I, I don't see why they wouldn't think that they would be competitive. Here's Verlander talking about whether he'd recommend signing with the Mets to future free agents. I have nothing but the utmost respect um, for their organization and, and um, how they treat their players, um, you know, A-plus from top to bottom. And anybody that would ask me about that organization, um, if they had a decision to make, I would, I would recommend their organization. They, 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 you know, just because it didn't work out on the field this year doesn't mean that um, it won't work out in the future. He was asked what went wrong with the Mets this season. Oh, we kind of got off on the wrong foot. You know, everything that could go wrong did early on and and just never felt, you know, even though we started playing some good baseball at times, um, it just, we never really hit that, hit our stride where we were kind of banging on all cylinders. Um, uh, I I can't answer exactly why that is. Um, you know, I think we all in that locker room and stayed extremely positive. I, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to, to, to the guys. I mean, we... Uh, Never let it get negative in there, um, which is hard to do when things are not going well. Um, and kind of kept expecting it to happen, and it just it just didn't click. He talked about being traded back to Houston. I, I haven't really come to terms with it. It's um, I don't think anybody saw this coming. You know, you commit to a team and you you commit to to trying to win a, a championship there, and um, that's your vision, right? You're all in, and then. A few months later, uh, you know, you're back with the team you were with the last season. And, you know, I feel like I was just really starting to get settled in the city and my apartment and my family was really getting used to things here. You know, you start building a life off the field. Um, you know, you, build, you try to build a life in the city that you're in and you start getting comfortable and you make friends. And um, so that part is really difficult. It's a lot on the family. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Rabbit. 
Aravich, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. He was the host of the trade deadline special that we had the other day. And, Carl, as I speak with you, it's 7.20 Eastern time, 5.20 Mountain time, so I've got to keep my voice down a little bit for the sake of the dogs and other people in the house. What in the world are you doing up at 5.20? Like, how does Talking something to like you. that happen? Talking baseball how, with you. How does that happen? We usually do this at, uh, you know, 8, 9 Eastern time, which gives the dogs – a little more time, and as you said, quote other people in the house. You're, you're, no, it's, you're it's totally my you're fault. Hear that I, I uh, the sent door, Taylor a note, and I said, you know, I've got because I got to talk my take my dog to the vet this morning, so I've got a drop dead time at uh, eight fifteen, hard out. But I didn't put MT Mountain Time. <laughs> how was you? How was you? How was you? Taylor, you know, great did a great job of lining up everything before eight fifteen Eastern Time. <laughs> How's your dog deal with the vet? Uh, she's actually, she's a rescue and I'm pretty sure we got her when, uh, she was six months old. She pretty sure she was beaten. So she hates going to the vet. Yeah. We had she the same thing. She's 13 now, 13 yes. years old, but she's going to get her toenails clipped. Not oh, happy. Boy. I don't blame her. We had the same thing. You'd get, you'd walk right up to the door and she knew exactly where we were going. And that was an about face. I mean, you couldn't get her in it. It's really hard, but good on you guys for getting a rescue dog. Yeah, and the, the one I had before that, uh, her name was Penny. Uh, you know, we're talking about we're well, going to the vet. And she was incredibly sweet and also the dumbest dog I've had. I've had about 40 dogs growing up on the farm and, you know, in adulthood. And she was the dumbest dog. And we would walk to the vet. She was the happiest. I mean, she was, all right. I love the smells <laughs> here. I love the dogs here. Let's go. I, I, I've had one dog who liked going to the vet. Yeah, I, I've probably known one person who likes going to the dentist my whole life. So I'm with you. I understand that feeling. And I wasn't <laughs> right. that person. Penny, uh, the the, uh, the wonderful chow mix. Uh, may she rest in peace. All right, so our Sunday night game this week is in San Diego. We've got the Dodgers. We've got the Padres. I remember we were talking earlier this year about uh, the, the this maybe being the best rivalry in baseball. It really hasn't played out the way that we expected this year. But I do feel like that the Padres are on the upswing. And then, Carl, I just forwarded you. I don't know if you saw the, the stat I just sent uh, yeah. that uh, from a website where they were talking about comparing a team's record to what the, what the uh, projection would be through Pythagorean theorem. And the Padres have by far the, you know, quote, unquote, the unluckiest record in baseball, minus eight wins below what you'd expect them to be. And maybe that's part of the reason why A.J. Preller decided, you know what, we're not only not going to sell, but we're going to add before the deadline. Look, if you're looking for reasons and somebody's going to throw a Pythagorean theorem at you and, and it's going to make, you know, your case, I'll subscribe to the Pythagorean theorem. I mean, I, as you know, I've always said the three things you need to win championships, you need good players, you need good health, and then you need good luck. And luck is a big part of it. Although I will say that their their record in those one run games to me doesn't indicate like every one of those was a unlucky loss. Um, but again, I, I think what's exciting for us and for the baseball fan and fans in San Diego who pack that building every night is the fact that you have a three game series against the Dodgers. And while you're in that wild card race, this is your litmus test. You know, this is the these are the games you you absolutely have to win, or you're going to be out of this race. So it's a terrific. Um, series and for us a Sunday night game you don't get it very often this late in the season and boy they're at home so it's a it's in a whether it's Pythagorean theorem Buster's theorem Eduardo's mine it's a good good series to have for the Padres and 
And they are playing a little bit better, but they're playing against a really great team right now. And they're running out of time. Like they have to yeah. start turning it around. That's it's interesting. And, and we'll, uh, we'll have a question here from bleacher tweeter about teams under pressure who decided not to sell. Yes. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, the angels, Yankees, Padres, all yes. those teams that are sort of on the fringe, they have to freaking turn around immediately. Like they cannot afford, you know, three, you know, eight losses in nine games. I mean, you, you get buried when you're four games out in that situation. Uh, and that's what the Padres are facing right now. That question, Carl, is from Michael Preston. He's at McP, 19, uh, 1979. He writes, so the deadline is passed. Which fringe buyer has the most pressure to make the playoffs other than the obvious, the Angels? And I'm Carl, I'm going to start my answer with this. I'm going to push back. I don't think the Angels have to make the playoffs. I think the litmus test on what they did is entirely about whether or not they re-sign Otani. I know, and I'm I'm in the like in the minority on on what this trade deadline does to him mentally and psychologically, without knowing what it does to him mentally or psychologically. I don't know how you take it. This is so sort of micro on the trade deadline and how teams use like one game or one series to decide whether we are in or not. In his case, we're going to use one deadline in which they've made acquisitions, base it against his entire career with the Angels, and think this is what's going to convince him to stay. Um, like I don't, I don't buy that. I think when the season ends, regardless of whether they make it or not, personally, he sits down and he he looks at a whole bunch of factors. Yeah, trade deadline for the Angels probably way down on the list of teams that compete annually, players on those teams, um, the location, obviously, the geography, West Coast, East Coast, a whole bunch of factors. And the Angels deciding to push the chips in at the trade deadline, not being one of them. So I, I don't, I, like, I'm not there with that. And I just don't think that the Angels are going to get into the playoffs. Nope. To your point that you started this with, the biggest challenge for the Yankees and the Padres and, and the Mets long before we got into the deadline decisions, the, the biggest challenge were always the teams in front of them. Like the Chicago Cubs are winning baseball games. That's a problem for the Padres. Arizona has lost three. That, that helps. Miami's playing pretty good. Um, it's always like it's the teams in front of them that they realize like, Oh my God, like we could win six out of 10 and not pick up any ground on two of the four teams we're trying to chase down. That, that's where you start to realize that time is not on our side. And in spite of the people we've brought in to help bolster this, it, it doesn't, it's, it's like a golfer. I mean, you become a very individual. I could go shoot 69. And the three other guys that I'm that I'm four shots behind shot seventy. I lose. You know, it's a very uh, foreboding future because you don't control what the other teams do, and that that's uh, that's the reality of it, and that's the challenge of being in these positions of uh, of having to look up at teams. I, I don't agree with the Angel part of it. I don't agree with the Otani thing being impacted by it. I do think the Padres are Padres and Mets to me are the two teams that are that are just under a bunch of pressure, uh, Padres and Yankees. And it would have been the Mets if they decided to go all in. And I think they wisely did not. 
Yeah, uh, I agree with you on the Padres. I, I think of all the teams that are under the most pressure because uh, they were the one team that uh, that added, you know, the one of these uh, big spending teams that have had, you know, really disappointing season. The Yankees basically held they, – they didn't do anything. They just held their ground. They didn't add money. The Mets actually dumped, um, and, and we'll get into in a moment whether or not that was the right thing to do. The Padres took on more, not a lot more. But, you know, G-Man Choi and Rich Hill and adding other guys because they essentially threw – I mean, if they've already put all their money into the pot and their mortgage, they now threw in their wristwatch based on what they added at the trade deadline. So I think that uh, that's absolutely the team. Um, on the other side of the field, we've got the Dodgers this weekend. I, I, you know, and it's interesting. We're going to have Lance Lynn against Rich Hill, which I think is fun because you got two hired guns, it looks like, uh, for these mm-hmm. two teams that are going to pitch. Do you think the Dodgers did enough with their rotation to uh, to put themselves in position to win the second World Series in four years? I think that I think that the start that Orias had last night, granted against the Oakland A's, is a big step forward. I do yeah. think there's a handful of teams here that are that are getting players back. While, while there's a whole bunch of teams, Buster, that have now lost a lot of players. You know, it feels like the last 24 hours, all of a sudden, the mash unit grew by you know tenfold there's a lot of guys that are out but in the Dodgers case getting Orius back and having him look the way he did and leaving the game regardless of the A's leaving the game feeling I think I saw a quote you know as good as he has felt either all year or in a long time is a huge deal for them it allows them to take a guy like Sheehan and instead of having him start you know piggyback so I just I'm not going to count the Dodgers out and I think their offense, which is how they're going to win this thing, yep. is so strong. Um, I'm looking forward to Sunday before our game, sitting down with Mookie and Freddie at the same time. I think they're a, they're a fascinating, dynamic duo. Uh, they have a tremendous relationship. And, and just to bounce some thoughts on on them about uh, you know about their year, about their relationship, about Ronald Acuna, you know, all, all these things. It's going to be a really cool sit down with those two guys. But yeah, I, I'm not. The Dodgers pitching, while it's been terrible, if if he's at the front of that rotation and Kershaw comes back, I, I don't know. There's just the Dodgers to me are like the team that never goes away, and it's not like they go away. They don't go away, and they're just a small mat. You know, they're, they're like a seven forty seven buzzing around. They are an absolute legit contender all the time to me. Yeah, and Dave Roberts uh, basically indicated yesterday that Kershaw is going to come back and rejoin the rotation next week. You got Lance Lynn, who not surprisingly was better. I mean, after it being in that situation with the White Sox, which was so ugly this year, it wouldn't yeah. surprise anybody if he went back and pitched better. Uh, and I agree with you, Arias. His performance was uh, was really important. But I do think, uh, you know, statistically, this is the worst Dodger pitching mm-hmm. staff since the team mm-hmm. moved to the West Coast. Yep. So they they will need to out hit a lot of their pitching issues. I think they're capable of doing that. Watching that lot that game yesterday. The lineup matchups that uh, that Dave Roberts can run out there with Rosario, Kike Hernandez now balancing out the you know the right side. Uh, I think that uh, be a dynamic team. And for anybody who wants to watch this, Carl's going to do an interview on uh, on Sunday afternoon with Freddie Freeman with Mookie Betts, and that'll uh, I'm sure probably part of it will be aired uh, during the baseball tonight, leading into our game, and then during the course of the game, you'll hear some of that as well. You mentioned the injuries, Carl. It's incredible. How many injuries have popped up here just in the last 72 hours? 
You got McClanahan going down. You got Bo Bichette going down. Uh, what was it uh, on Monday? And Anthony Rizzo. Like hearing the news that uh, you know that he has a diminished capacity because, uh, and they're stemming it to that collision he had with Fernando Tatis Jr. In, in one way, you're like, boy, why why did that take so long for them yep. to diagnose? But on the other hand, it, it certainly gives context to what we saw. I was watching his plate appearances on Sunday night. What he had four strikeouts against the Orioles, right? And and he looked completely lost. Like he was just yeah. feeling for the ball. Yeah, all weekend. You know, and even I, I to his credit, you know, John Smoltz was smart enough as a player to recognize, like, in a sense, not knowing what was going on, but knowing yeah. something was going on. He was the one who said there's 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 gotta be something going on there with Rizzo. And he alluded to perhaps he's, you know, he's he's feeling there's something going on there that he's not He's either hurt or or something, and he was, you know, in the in hindsight, it sounds like the Yankees have decided this is after testing a post concussion type syndrome stuff, um, a fogginess about him. Uh, that's look, that's that scares the hell out of you when you hear it. Um, and again, I, it's hard to talk about because you don't know the circumstances by right. which these conversations happened. But a lot of times, when it comes to injuries, not saying that's the case for this. A lot of times, the players will. We'll kind of hide it, figure I can get out of this. Like, I'm not even sure what this is. I, I'm just feeling a little off. Maybe I have a, you know, a virus. I'm sick. Uh, you know, allergies. Who knows what it is that he, he was unable to articulate these, these symptoms, which would lead a, a medical staff to say, you know, maybe there's, there's this going on. So I, I'm happy that they've concluded that and hope like hell that he can get well because we've seen these things drag on for a long, long time. Some of the guys come back and it, and it clears itself up, but that's, that's troubling because that happened a while ago. And and this is something that if, if that's the case, he's been lugging it around for a long time. That's really hard to, uh, that's hard to take. Yeah. I remember one of the first times is, is people uh, in, in sports were learning more about concussions, you know, the NFL, obviously, but also major league baseball, Aaron Hill, the former second baseman, having a conversation with him, he'd been kneed in the head and yeah. he talked about how long it took him to get over that feeling of fogginess that you just referenced. So I'm with you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, you know, try to understand exactly when it started, what the effect is, but he, he has not looked like himself. Since that injury, there's no getting around that. Uh, I, just to I want to do quick follow-ups with you on the trade deadline. What did you think of what the, the decisions that the Mets made, essentially, to retool going forward? Because I must say, when I it, it was interesting, the reaction to Max Scherzer's quotes where he was relating this conversation he had with Billy Epler and saying they weren't going to go after uh, you know upper echelon free agents for 2024. And then the reaction to the media, especially in New York, was a lot Along the lines of well, that means they're not going to compete in 24. And, and in fact, one I saw one reporter use the word fire sale in a tweet he sent. I'm like, wait a second. I'm not saying that the Mets are close to where the Braves are, but when you're looking at that team, they're going to have Francisco Lindor. They're going to have Pete Alonso. They're going to have Jeff McNeil. They got these young position players, Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty. Uh, they got Edwin Diaz coming back. I don't know. You know, are they a 100 win team? No. Could they be an 85 to 86 win team? And knowing how Cohen works, if they have opportunities to buy, you know he's going to do that uh, during the course of the year. I, I don't. It's not like oh, the Mets are going into an abyss here. Oh, and no, by the way, here's something else, Carl. It's not like they broke up the 27 Yankees. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, I, I, it's look, it's hard to explain, and I'm not sure there is an explanation for why they collectively played so poorly this year. I really yeah. don't. I don't know that you, you don't pin it on uh, Scherzer, Verlander, the manager, uh, the chemistry, Alonzo. Yeah, like, the Diaz injury. Sure. Yeah, I don't think there's one thing. Clearly, it got started on the wrong. I'm not even going to say that's a stupid analogy because of what happened to him. It got started off poorly. Um, but I, I will look, there, there's, a, there's a few ways I would look at this. You just made a great case for the guys that they're going to have next year, including Diaz. And if you went into that year with Scherzer and Verlander and you made a couple of additions in the offseason, I would feel really strongly about that team. Yeah. I'm under the impression. And by the way, I, I, was, I was sort of shocked that Max Scherzer was so public about the, converse, the private conversation he had with Billy Epler, regardless of the actual detail in it. I mean, I certainly came away from reading the quotes that were attributed to Max as Billy Epler has suggested we're not going to be sort of swimming in that large free agent pool because we just now have a lot of dead money indicated inferentially that they're not going to be the player they were here recently by getting those two guys. Like we're not going to go that way that it does imply to me that this is going to be a different approach. It may very well be a different person who's leading this organization and we are starting over in spite of the names you gave. So I was really surprised that that came out the way it did. And I would say that I understand the deals that they made but if you told me that all those guys are coming back next year and Verlander and Scherzer and they added uh, a corner infielder maybe at third base that can hit or they used Beatty in a different way, something to add to what would have been there, uh, I would have felt really good about the team. Again, the, the, to me, the biggest elephant in the room, and it may be for the next four or five years, are the Atlanta Braves. I mean, that's now yes. your bar. That's a new standard. They get the highest uh, standard yeah. to work with in baseball that they have to catch. So that, how are you going to deal with that? Yeah. Real quick, clear winner at the deadline to me, the Astros. What about you? Yeah, I, you know, whether Verlander has a great year or not, I mean, he walks into that room and they feel good about it. Seeing Jack Flaherty start the other day, yeah. the Orioles needed to do something. Um, I think, I love, I think yeah. a lot of us enjoy the players on that team, the city. It's good for baseball. I, I was so happy at the end there when all of a sudden the Orioles went out and got him. Whether it works or not, to me, it puts them in that same category as the Astros. The difference is Flaherty doesn't have the cred that Verlander does. But, boy, it's hard to sit here today, Buster, and not think that the Astros and the Braves are not the two favorites to play in the World Series again. But the Orioles getting Flaherty allows me to think they have a real good chance at being the team that can knock them off. Based on a memory that I have of uh, you know a time with you earlier this year, who would have imagined that we'd get to the beginning of August and the biggest potential problem for the defending cha- national league champion Phillies would be Trey Turner? It's shocking, and it's clear. No, I, 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 I think this is a clear case, a clear example. And you play golf, so you know, and you know that sport better than me. This is someone who cares desperately. He wants to be great. He wants to live up to that contract, and he is driving himself crazy. It looks yeah. like he, he's got a defensive version of the yips right now. Yeah, the, wheel, the wheels are spinning for sure, and it's, uh, it's hard to see because I, I absolutely go back. I'm sure you have, uh, you have audio and some video of me saying, well, Trey Turner's a Philly. That makes them the World Series favorite. 
and it's been Trey Turner who's who's been the guy that hasn't delivered. Uh, again, this and is remember one of those our conversation where, with him, how comfortable he was, how happy of course, he was beginning of the he's year. He's in the right place. He's the, it was a brilliant move. I mean, all the shortstops they signed free agent wise really haven't been great, but he's been the biggest disappointment. Um, he's one of those two that in 2024, you watch, he'd be up, he's going to have a breakout year. I hope it happens here in 23 for his sake yeah. and for the Phillies' sake, because I know this. They feel as good about themselves if Turner turns it around as any team, any team that's out there. And they would be in that same conversation with the Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers if he can get on a, on a roll. But this is not a small sample size anymore. So I'm not, I'm not sure what it's going to take. You know, usually it's one long flight across the country and all of a sudden you can find it or lose it. He's, he's still searching for it, for sure. Yes, and I think after what we saw this week, uh, that it's gotten to a point where Rob Thompson, all bets are off in terms of how he deals with it. You know, drop him in the lineup, uh, you know, move him around, do different things with him, take him out for defensive purposes late in. Whatever he's got to do, he's got to do because Trey Turner has been that bad. All right, yeah. Carl, thanks for doing this, and I will see you in San Diego. All right. Good night, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Friday. Josh Schmitz at Chivalry Undead writes in, how does Anthony Rizzo play concussed for two months? He had cleared concussion protocols in place, but was still concussed. How can something like this just slip by? Does Major League Baseball need to revise the protocol? I don't know if they need to revise it, but I certainly think they probably, uh, everyone involved is going to learn something from this, the science, from what happened in this case. Um, yeah, I, I, and I feel like I shouldn't give an opinion because I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what was done. I don't know what was said. And, you know, the, I'm not a doctor. I did stay at the Holiday Inn last night, though. <laughs> you play one on TV every Right, Sunday. exactly. Michael Cantor at McTav13 writes, and I haven't heard any thoughts on the Padres' anomalous late game record. ESPN extended, expanded standing show them as 6-18 and 18 in one-run games in 0-10 in extra innings. Both are leaps and bounds the worst records reason for hope or what gives. Well, that's a, the Pythagorean theorem that I was talking about with Carl, right? That where it feels like that the, the Padres are eight win or excuse me, a minus eight on that scale. Most teams are like plus one or minus one. So, yeah, I think it does say that the Padres have been to some degree a little bit unlucky. Our guy Cameron Black at blind underscore QB shot me an email. He said, one of my favorite aspects of baseball is what a superstitious sport is more than any other sport. Tim Kirkshin's got a whole chapter in his book about it. What is your favorite superstition that you're aware of? And he says, you don't have to use the player's name if you'd rather not. But Yeah, so uh, I don't know where you draw the line between OCD and uh, and superstition because mm-hmm. I covered a player who had I think a, a crazy amount of OCD. He was a catcher, and he would not go out for warmups before a game until he put on his shin guards in a way that felt good. Okay. Uh, and, and so he just kept on taking off his shin guards and putting them back on and taking off his shin guards, putting them back on. And the pitcher's like, "I'm ready to warm up. What's the problem?" <laughs> uh, he had the same thing with elevators. Like he would push uh, the button. Yeah. And so teammates told me about hearing stories about him out in the hallway, out at the hotels, and they'd hear ding. And then when he couldn't get on, he didn't feel right. He would let out an expletive and the doors would close. <laughs> and then they hear ding, expletive, ding, expletive, 
ding, expletive. And then like the sixth or seventh time he would get on the elevator. He had to wait for it to feel right. Yeah, that's that's not quite superstition, but uh, no. a good story. Superstition, for- I, my favorite superstition story might have been when I covered Paul O'Neill, uh, who hated anybody bringing up anything because he was superstitious. He thought it was bad luck if you brought up a stat that was in progress. And so I walked up to him and I said, hey, hey, uh, you know, Paul, I want to tell you this stat that I, I learned today. And that involves you. He goes, Buster, what are you doing? You know, I don't like those numbers. What are you? And I said, no, Paul, you already did it. It's related to your age. He goes, oh, really? What is it? <laughs> like he, once he realized it couldn't affect future performance, he was okay with it. <laughs> All right. My ears are officially on. Uh, last one for the week. Elizabeth Hart at eHeart Tweets writes in a question from a Blue Jays fan for noted Orioles fan Taylor. What's the deal with Fujinami? Um, he's having a tough time finding his pitches right now. He said he he said himself, and I thought this was refreshing that he he's been putting a lot of pressure on himself. Yes, and he needs to just like cool it down. He's got the stuff. He just needs to do it consistently. I'm not worried. Not giving up on the guy yet. No, I I, I then you you nailed the diagnosis of what's going on. You could see it. Like mm-hmm. he he is a stress ball when he pitches, and so maybe as he uh, gets to know his teammates better, that he'll he'll relax a little bit. Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets for the week. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games this this uh, this weekend. And Buster, great week of shows, man. Really, really enjoyed it. Strong week. Thanks to everyone who's who's listened and and interacted. I th- I thought it was uh it was might have been one of our best weeks of shows possibly in the four years I've been doing this. Yeah, I would agree with you. I got a lot of great feedback as well. We'll uh we'll talk about that off air. That's all for today. That's all for this week. My thanks to Carl, Sarah, Xavier. Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.